0: I'm Mayor Sumble Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mallon, Vice Mayor, and this is our weekly podcast, Women Are Here. <laughs> I said Mayor Siddiqui. I Siddiqui.
1: My name is Sambol Siddiqui. <laughs>
0: so we're
1: back. Um, I have watched a good amount of TV, uh, somehow, someway, because, you know, I'm not sleeping that much. Um, I did finish the undoing. Oh, what'd you think? I liked it. I liked it. I think that you know, I had so many theories, right? Like, so I was like, Oh, totally Nicole, totally this person, totally this person. Uh, it was good. It, you know, I, I it had my heart racing. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what's next? You know?
0: Um, and then I've started the flight attendant. Have you heard of it? Um, I think, did you mention it to me yesterday? I went on, it's a mystery. It's kind of a mystery but it's also funny oh it's funny okay it's dark comedy okay because I can't just I need like funny
1: you'll like it you'll like it for sure this is it's totally up your alley
0: okay all right well I've been watching the most feel-good show ever of all time called Ted Lasso (laughs) what is that it's um so Jason Sudeikis is a American football coach and then gets hired to coach uh soccer or football in England um, so it's hilarious it's a hilarious show, but it's also like I was saying the other day it's like taking an antidepressant it's so charming and funny and like feel good there's just nothing more I can say about it it's all it's ten episodes i'm I watched the whole thing and then my daughter wanted to watch so now I'm watching it over. But um, it was, re- it's really good. I I highly recommend it. It's on Apple Plus, which is like, I guess, a TV. You have it?
1: You have Apple Plus?
0: Yeah, because I think one of us must have gotten a phone in the last couple of months or something.
1: <laughs> I'll give you my HBO Max if you want to give me
0: that. <laughs> I have HBO Max, don't you worry. <laughs> Ugh, I'm
1: always looking. I did pay for HBO Max. Was, and then I've been giving it out because people have been so generous with me. I have a Netflix, I have a Hulu from <laughs> from just friends. And now I'm always looking for uh, now. You're
0: just like being ne- magnanimous about it. You're like, do you want my password? <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> I will bestow
1: it upon you. <laughs> no, I mean it's such a culture. Like other people are like, oh, you're so nice. Do you need a Netflix? Do you need a Hulu? I'm like, I'm all set. I'm <laughs> oh, good. Anyway, okay, I'll have to I'll have to check this Ted thing out, Ted Lasso.
0: Ted Lasso, I'm telling okay. you, I, I highly recommend it. All right, so let's jump right in. We had a, a council meeting on Monday night, and we got a few updates. Um, the first thing we wanted to share is the shared streets pilot ended on December 4th, so there was a big storm that weekend. Um, they pulled the uh, signs down, and they will um, be reviewing the this initiative over the winter and into the spring to see if um, there are tweaks that can be made to bring it back. Um, But for now, it has ended. I am devastated because I loved Harvard Street, um, the shared street there. But um, I will look forward to the next iteration, hopefully in the spring.
1: And, uh, you know, Riverbend Park uh, is open to pedestrians and cyclists from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Saturdays. And Sundays only through December 27th at this point. We don't have any confirmation on whether or not we'll be ex- expending, it. we'll be able to extend that.
0: So get out there and enjoy it this weekend. Um, the other thing that they wanted to let us know the city um, decided to continue lighting St. Peters Field, Hoyt Field, and Donnelly Field until 7.30 p.m. each night through December 21st, which gives our residents. Uh, more time to safely up, enjoy the outdoors as it gets dark at like I don't know it's dark right now it's for right <laughs> so uh those will be continue to be lit up for our residents
1: and then construction is underway at the new temporary emergency homeless shelter which we're calling the, the transition uh, wellness center um it'll be at Spalding Hospital and that should be completed for December 16th opening
0: so that's this week I'm looking yeah, to it. yeah yeah I
1: think I'm trying to do a walkthrough of it with um city manager and a few people next week so you okay. should join
0: take some pictures some video yeah inside um so it is Friday uh the Cambridge public school shifted to all remote learning after two out of three of the public health thresholds were surpassed this uh yesterday actually so Cambridge public schools are all remote as of yesterday parents were notified on the shift uh this past Sunday night and Um, to reopen the schools, we've had a lot of conversation about this. Cambridge would need to stay below the three metrics, less than 25 cases per day per 100,000 people, um, a COVID positivity rate of less than 5% and less than 100 copies of viral genomes, um, detected in our wastewater, uh, at Deer Island for seven consecutive days. I know that there has been a lot of confusion among the Cambridge public school parents who, um, avidly look at the positivity rate um, and the the seven day average. Uh, around about four o'clock between four and 4.30, I get a flurry of texts from people who um, just don't understand why cases are rising, but our, um, our seven day average is going down. So I was wondering if you could give a little uh, explanation on that from the public health department side, um, what the seven day average looks like and why we are seeing Such a discrepancy between those numbers.
1: So the way I remember it um, is, you know, I've gotten back and forth with public health on this, and the simplest way of uh, stating this, and Alana, I've tried to text you some of these explanations too, so you can jump in um, to clarify, is essentially that number, the seven-day average, um, it's been in flux because on a particular day, we may not have all the confirmed cases from um, a prior day. And they may be presumed, but they're actually not confirmed. And so once they're confirmed, then you may see that actual number playing into the average and it could then be a lower average than we, we anticipated.
0: So do they ever take cases away? Like, are there ever cases that are assigned to Cambridge and then they're like, whoops, it's actually Malden?
1: I don't know how often that happens.
0: So I guess because my question and every every parent in Cambridge whose child was (laughs) formerly in person earlier this week is like, okay, for the past seven days, there has not been one day or there's only been one day that was like 11 cases. Every other day has been above 24 for the past seven days. So there was like a 59 case day. There was 43 yesterday. I think I just saw 38 today. How can the seven day positivity rate be 21 point something?
1: I mean, I think the way they've explained it is because some of these cases are coming in at that time weren't actually confirmed as positive.
0: Or they weren't confirmed as that day. It was like previous days. Yeah yeah okay
1: well anyway we're gonna explain all this because you know on tuesday we have another school committee meeting so we'll explain a little bit more about that metric i do think as i've said and i said this on monday night these metrics were there um and now we've been in school and it was has was working well i do think moving forward we may not need some of these metrics i mean or we need to have at least a conversation about these metrics because um I don't know my goal is to my goal is and many of our goals are if it's safe um can we how do we keep as many students in school as possible um especially the youngest uh the learners
0: I think it would be very helpful to explain that at the school committee meeting I think it would also be really helpful for them to like put together a quick one pager just because uh, there's so many people wondering right now and Math is not my strongest suit, but I either. Yeah, yeah. um, But I I feel like I scratch my head every night at those numbers. Okay, so moving on. um, The universities, as we know, Harvard and MIT and Leslie have all gone home for the fall semester, but um, they are looking and planning for their spring semester right now. So at Harvard, classes will be taught remotely but roughly 3,000 3, undergraduate students will be back living in the dorms. I believe that they come back at the very end of January or the beginning of February. So resident staff and students will continue to be tested every three days and there'll be specific housing set for quarantine and isolation. Not much changes there, but for MIT, um, they're, they're inviting their freshmen, sophomores and juniors to come back to campus and then graduate students and research will continue as they did in the fall. So in the, Uh, fall this year, it was just MIT seniors because they were finishing up their their projects um, and meeting with their advisors. So they needed to be on campus. So they're kind of flip-flopping that around. So that's what's going to be happening for the spring. That's the plan right now. I guess, you know, everything's always in flux, but that is the plan. And um, I'll keep everybody posted as the chair of the economic development and university relations subcommittee of the city council.
1: We also have a vaccine update. We we expect CDC to send Massachusetts 300,000 doses by the end of December, including around 60,000 doses in the next week. And the full vaccine will include a two-dose regimen. The CDC's COVID-19 vaccination playbook outlines three phases for vaccine vaccine distribution with the first, (laughs) did I say that wrong? (laughs) Distribution, (laughs) distribution, Uh, with the first vaccines being reserved for healthcare workers and residents and staff in the long-term care facilities. Uh, I saw something on Facebook from a friend um, who said she'd gotten an email from like work. She's a healthcare worker um, or she works in the healthcare system that
0: um, they can start scheduling a vaccine. It's so crazy. So I I mean, just, I, I don't know if you saw the tweets this week or any of the news reports of the the folks getting the first vaccines. Yes, and in the uh, UK. Yeah, it's like, I didn't realize how fake I thought it was. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you, you're like, it just doesn't seem real that they'll be vaccinated, a vaccine, and we'll just be sitting in our houses maybe for the rest of time. But then to see people actually get vaccinated or you know hear these stories about your friend who's a healthcare worker you know being scheduled for a vaccine it just gives me so much hope i know and it's been in short supply lately so mm-hmm. and i really enjoyed those pictures one of the um one of the people in england's name was william shakespeare
1: i oh yeah i saw that that was really funny
0: <laughs> somebody was like it says he's 90 but by my calculations he's 475 years old <laughs> Um, okay, so as we are um, discussing Monday night at the uh, City Council meeting, there has been some conversation around what happens when somebody is contact traced. And here in Cambridge, after cases are identified as being positive, they are assigned to an agency for case investigations. So around 20% of those cases are assigned to our own Cambridge Public Health Department. 25% go to like Harvard and MIT to deal with those cases. So it fluctuates, but all of the university cases for contact tracing go directly to the universities. And then around 55% go to the Massachusetts Community Tracing Collaborative. So these agencies make contact with a COVID positive resident um, and they take around, they said every contact call trace takes between 45 minutes and three hours to ask questions and perform perform that contact tracing. So if they are identified during that contact tracing as needing other services, like if they don't have food in the home or if they don't have things like toilet paper or diapers or formula, or if they're gonna need um, rental assistance because they have to quarantine for a certain amount of time, then they are referred to other agencies. So um, the public health department right now for food refers folks to the Agassiz Baldwin community um, and they get a box of food uh, once a week for two weeks to the home, which is incredible. So um, they are doing an amazing job getting food out to the community for those who are very, very vulnerable. If you can make a donation um, to the Agassiz Baldwin right now because I know that they are really um, struggling for funds right now and they're providing this really amazing services. Um, but. For the um, case, the 55% of the cases that are traced through the contact tracing collaborative, um, they don't have a real system right now. So Sumble and myself are working with some um, agencies here in Cambridge to make sure that we've got a, a single point of contact for the um, CTC care workers, so that um, you know, if somebody says, you know, I need uh, masks, I need food, I need rental assistance. I, and I also need cleaning supplies that they have one single point of contact in a form that will galvanize our, um, nonprofit agencies to get out there and make sure that, you know, if you are in quarantine and you are in need of services and resources, you get them. So uh, we should have something online, I think next week, and we can talk about that, uh, next week, which is amazing to just be pulling together, uh, our, our community in this way.
1: Definitely. Another thing, you know, we've been laser focused on is testing, and we both had co-sponsored an order around mobile testing. Um, something that is happening really soon is we will be bringing testing to residents at the Freshmont Apartments on December eighteenth, uh, and then there's more mobile kind of outreach uh, planned uh, throughout the month. So, looking forward to. Hearing more about that, but um, that area, North Cambridge, North Cambridge is a hot spot. So, looking forward to that. Um, we, as the Cambridge, the Public Health Department, is also continuing to gather data for our wastewater surveillance testing program, um, and is going to be developing a plan for, you know, vaccine distribution based on the states.
0: That's so. great. I mean, I think it's so important to be bringing the testing right to people. Um, and then also illustrating how easy it is to get tested. I think people still have in their brain that um, it's those really awful tests. Um, so it, it'll be great to have it right on site at Fresh Pond Apartments on December 18th. Thank you for pushing that.
1: Yeah, I'm excited uh, for, for that to happen. Another thing that we talked about on Monday night was um, expansion of Homebridge. Uh, so about 3 million from the forward housing trust to go towards this uh uh, program for home buyers earning between 100% and 120% of area median income. Um, the, so this will help eight to 10 residents become homeowners and, you know, be able to stay here. So we co-sponsored this um, with Councilor Simmons to Toomey back last year, feels like a decade ago. Um, <laughs> I think October, 9th, it was October 2019 when we did this. Um, So excited for this to increase the funding for the city's HomeBridge program that offers homeownership opportunities to a wider range of incomes. And so through HomeBridge, the city gives homebuyers 40 to 50 percent of the home's purchase price, putting homeownership in reach for low uh, and middle income residents. And previously, HomeBridge only served residents earning up to 100 percent area median income. But now it's been expanded to include residents earning up to under 20, uh, you know, we both know that this is not enough, never, there's never enough money to ensure that people can stay in Cambridge. Um, but, you know, we we are happy that we're using this tool in our toolbox.
0: Yeah, I'm glad I was glad to see that coming forward. I know that was something that we um, you and I had been really talking about how home, home bridge um, and, and really putting more money into that program would be very beneficial to folks who want to purchase a home here in Cambridge and not be renting. And so I'm glad to see that the Affordable Housing Trust has allocated that $3 million. I look forward to that moving forward. Um, another announcement that was made on Monday night is that um, through CARES Act funding, we are going to be um, announcing another round of small business grants uh, and a uh, housing stabilization funding. So it's about $1.25 million in CARES Act funding mm-hmm. to support small businesses and residents. Um, you know, this is something that you and I have been working on since September, knowing that the um, the businesses got that first round of funding over the summer, um, but knew that, you know, there was no way that that was going to remotely get them through um, what we know is coming up. So uh, approximately 100 small businesses will receive grants of uh, up to $6,000 for mortgage rent or rent payments, inventory, payroll, or costs associated with purchasing PPE. but. This funding uh, comes from the the HUD program, so the Housing and Urban Development, and will only include businesses covered under the 2020 revitalization strategy areas. So I actually was looking at the new 2020 map and it excludes places like Harvard Square, Observatory Hill, um, Huron Avenue, and some other um, small business districts. So we'll be looking. Applications for this next round, the Community Development Department is preparing an outreach campaign targeting HUD eligible areas and MWBEs, so Minority and Women Owned Businesses. This was something that I think came up pretty strongly this summer, and Councilor Simmons was um, kind of pushing for making sure an, any next round really prioritized our Black and Brown businesses that may have missed out on the first round of funding, but also may have missed out on the Paycheck Protection Program, um, because we've all seen the numbers and um, the fact that the black and brown businesses in our communities were really left out of that uh, PPP program. So it was really important for Councillor Simmons, the mayor and myself to make sure that these businesses were not only prioritized in a, in a rating system, but that there was also intentional outreach to these businesses to tell them about the grants, provide that technical assistance to apply for the grants and make sure that they got those applications in so um that's really exciting for our small businesses and uh, i look forward to that i guess the applications open you said december 18th is that 15th. right? 15th and then the um it will close in january and hopefully get those get those funds right out to the community
1: and then the second half of the funding will be used to continue the COVID 19 housing stabilization program which avoids Short-term rent relief to residents in need. Uh, this is allocation will help support 150 more households. Due to HUD rules, no one household is able to receive more than six months of rental assistance through this program. But the city's multi-service center and housing liaison, Mara Penzac, can help residents find other housing resources available to them. Uh, yeah, so we're really incredibly grateful to see this allocation and to see that the city um, is stepping up to support um, our small business community and our residents with financial assistance. Uh, And as we enter into this, you know, new case surge, this funding is timely, and we look forward to continuing to advocate for these critical resources um, like these that will help our most vulnerable community members weather the pandemic. Yeah,
0: so that was a big one for Monday night. um, It has been a in the works for a long time. And then I think that our business community was um, glad to see something moving on that front um, in a positive direction. Also at the city council meeting, we had a petition for green roofs. So this is a new zoning petition submitted by Mothers Out Front, which would actually just amend our current green roofs ordinance to require uh, fully green roofs installed on all future construction and any significant uh, Rehab of a building over 20,000 square feet. So, the current green roofs ordinance makes it easier for developers to add a green roof, but doesn't require it. So, Mother's Out Friend has been really, really working on ensuring that um, because Cambridge is so dense and there's not a lot of opportunities to add green space or open space within our current confines we really intentionally use our, our roofs to um, provide that greenery or a solar array. So, you know, we heard some concerns on Monday night. It was funny, there was a lot of people that called in on Monday nights in support of this uh, petition. So I imagine that it is going to get a lot of attention, but there were a few people that um, called in around um, concerns that it might uh, financially impact our affordable housing builders. And I, you know, I had a similar concern um, and s- actually set mothers up out front up with a local affordable housing builder just to talk with them about, you know, the the new petition and you know if they had any input before they put it in. And actually it was a really great conversation. Um, they're really the this affordable build housing builder is actually incorporating a lot of what they're asking them to do already. And I think we've said this a bunch of times as we thought about the affordable housing overlay, Um, the affordable housing builders here in Cambridge have a much higher incentive to create these sustainability measures because they're going to keep these buildings in their portfolio forever, right? Like they're not coming in to redevelop a building and then selling it to um, the teachers union in California. So they, um, I was glad to be able to provide that connection because I think it was really important and also makes me feel better and I hope the rest of the council understood that um, you know, the affordable housing builders uh, have a stake in, in making sure that they have these sustainability measures too.
1: Yeah, this kind of came up a lot during the overlay and uh, I remember going with mothers out front too to one of the rooftops and um, sitting down with them reviewing some of the, all the research they put together on this and so I'm, you know looking forward to the conversation um, in the future.
0: Yeah. Was that at the Boston Medical Center? Yes. So interesting. So they use food as medicine there. Yep. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that any of the buildings here would be interested in putting a rooftop garden on. And, you know, it's a pretty specific thing for Boston Medical Center to be doing. And um, I, I mean, it would be great. I think it would be great. I think it would yeah. kind of solve a couple of problems um, and leading into that. One of the other things that we <laughs> talked about a lot on Monday night was that um, hunger has really skyrocketed here in Cambridge due to the COVID pandemic. Um, around 13% of our population, which is around 15,000 residents, are experiencing food insecurity. insecurity. So uh, anecdotally, I have um, been in touch with or have volunteered at all of our food pantries in the past you know, month or so, and they're seeing around a 10 to 15% increase in use over the last few months. So we really need to make sure that these food access organizations are supported um, with these with these with the increase in numbers that we're seeing. So we filed a policy order with Councilor McGovern, you and I, um, to ask the city manager to work with those organizations and food pantries to learn more about what they're seeing on the ground and try to find ways that we can, as a city, support them, whether it's financially or otherwise, and their work. So one of the ways in, you know, we can think about it like a really immediate thing is providing funding and asking residents to really come together and donate. But a more sustainable way to think about food insecurity is making sure that every resident that qualifies for SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, actually is signed up for it. So um, there is a SNAP gap here in Cambridge, which means that, you know, somebody has signed up for and is eligible for MassHealth, which means that they would be eligible for SNAP benefits, uh, but they never signed up um, and are not receiving SNAP right now. So we have around 7,000 residents who fall within that SNAP gap. So we, this policy order also asked the city to put together a comprehensive marketing strategy and a way to reach out, outreach to those 7,000 residents and try to figure out how we can move them on to a more sustainable food solution for them and their families. Um, but so that was, um, I think it was, I think it's been really eye opening for people in the past couple of months to really understand that we're in a crisis right now. And with unemployment ending, unemployment benefits running out for a lot of people at the end of this month. Um, we're going to be in a really dire situation if we don't get ahead of it. So that was really important um, for me and for you and for our council member governor to make sure that we uh, got that in front of the city manager and made it a priority.
1: No, and thank you so much for doing all your work on this, um, on this food insecurity issue. It's coming up across, you know, not only Cambridge, you know, many cities I'm hearing, uh, seeing you know the same kind of demand um but to see it here too uh with the city that we do have so many resources but we have to be doing everything we can to help our um non with this
0: yeah and so if i can just jump in because i totally forgot to say this <laughs> um we have launched actually with those nonprofits we've launched uh, a cambridge campaign against hunger and we are trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars uh for the food access organizations that are doing this mighty work in the community. So Food for Free, Cambridge Community Center, the Margaret Fuller Neighborhood House, CEOC, the East End House, and Agassiz Baldwin, among others, um, and really trying to rally the Cambridge residents um, around saying, these are our friends, these are our neighbors, these are our, our residents, they need our support. And so we need to really support the organizations that are doing that work. So we, our goal is to raise a hundred thousand dollars. We raised 10,000 in the first day. I haven't gotten the numbers from yesterday, but I think we had a pretty good day as well. So if you have more information or if you need more information uh, about the Cambridge campaign against hunger, we did write an op-ed in the Cambridge Chronicle this week. So if you, Google um, Cambridge Chronicle campaign against hunger. It will come up and it will have donation links right in the op-ed that will take you to your favorite food access organization. Make a donation today, share it with your friends, um, however we need to get the word out to raise that $100,000. I think it's critical right now that we do it.
1: And we're also simultaneously trying to raise money for the mayor's um, disaster relief fund, but we're actually um, about $120,000 away from $5 million, um, which is amazing. Uh, we've been able to do so much with the money that we've had. Um, so there is a lot of need. So we um, don't, donate what you can definitely to the the, the nonprofits. And then if you can, um, you know, we're we're still fundraising for the disaster relief fund and hope to open up that in the future for something, um, whether it's businesses and whether it's something else. So.
0: And if you, if you work for a Cambridge-based company um, and they have not donated to the Mayor's Disaster Relief Fund in a meaningful way, ask somebody. Um, right. You know, there are still companies out there that have not made um, a donation or a meaningful donation to the Mayor's Disaster Relief Fund. And we are, as Sumble said, $120,000 short of our $5 million goal. That would take a, a whole lot of residents sending in $50 to $100. But... You know these companies who are based here, who use our restaurants, who um, employ our residents. It would be great if they could come to the table now and and really help us close that goal.
1: And if you have, yeah, maybe you're working at one of them. So uh, anyone or ten listeners, um, see if you're. Uh, in it's on online. You can see who has donated, which company has on the. If you just Google Mayor Disaster refund, Fund, Siddiqui, put that in, it'll come up. Um, we've we've highlighted which ones have. You know, been making donations. Um, and one thing I wanted to bring up was a clothing drive that's happening tomorrow, for Inner shine, uh, outside the Cambridge uh, Rinja Line School. Um, winter clothes, please bring them by, it all benefits the spot. Uh, and this has been organized um, by high school students, uh, who had uh, won the global challenge. Uh, and so it was and, and Jennifer Lawrence also at CDD was helping behind the scenes uh, and so that's happening tomorrow from 10 to 4 so if you have some winter clothes come by
0: um so as somebody who has been volunteering at the spot <laughs> for the last month do a, do me a favor wash those clothes <laughs> before you drop them off um it is always really nice to get freshly laundered clothes I can't tell you how many kids um, coats I have washed in my own personal <laughs> washing machine in the past month uh, so make sure they're clean make sure the zippers work make sure your kid would wear them or you would wear the, these items of clothing um, that would be so helpful and we are really getting these clothes out to the community. Uh, I don't know if you saw on the yeah. we were, took a school bus around and went to a different a bunch of different um, apartment buildings and we're there giving away coats, snow pants, uh, hats, mittens, gloves, masks. Um, So we are really getting that we, I think we gave away about a hundred coats on Wednesday. So that's great. Um, But we definitely have, definitely have more. Uh, So if you need (laughs) clothes, please contact Debbie Bonilla, D-B-O-N-I-L-L-A at cpsd.us and she will, connect you to whatever you need but it's really great like just being there at the spot and watching the family liaisons come in and and shop the shelves for their families has been really incredible like knowing that you know people donate clothes and you're like I wonder where it goes and really where it goes is it gets bundled up into six outfits per size um, and right out to our students who who need them so if you have the clothes, drop them off. Thank you for organizing or helping to organize this symbol. It's it's so important right now.
1: And I know that club four is organizing another one to benefit um, the residents who, live, who are going to be moving into the wellness uh, center. Uh, oh, so that's gonna be coming up and they've worked with Julie um, from Bay Cove uh, Casper to, to identify the needs. Uh, for that. So we'll be helping with that too. So stay tuned next week on the details for that. So happy Friday, everyone.
0: Happy Friday. Have a wonderful weekend. And we will talk to you next week. Take care. Bye.